Um, in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, Paul talks about adoption. And anybody that knows me, so that's most of y'all here, knows that adoption is special to me and to my family. But I don't want you to think that I just said, oh, I'm preaching one of these Sundays. I'm going to talk about adoption because that's one of my platforms. A couple years ago, I preached through the entire book of Romans. And this is just one of the sermons that can be a standalone sermon in that. And it's not necessarily me building or jumping the next step from the sermon that was the week before. So when you do these onesies and you pick something out of a series, you have to be careful that you don't get something that's going to rely on what you did the week before. So that's, it was easy to pick this sermon, but that's also a reason that I did it. But with that said, I have been an adoptive dad since Kate's birthday, August 10th. I just got her attention. She looked up at me. August 10th, 2011. I'm just going to ask a question. Is anybody else in here uh, an adoptive parent or an adoptive child? There's, there's hands across the room. So we're, we're not the only ones. We're, we're among friends. But I have been thinking about adoption since some date in September in 1989. I sat in a hospital room with my dad and listened to a doctor describe to me what birth defect I had. And he told me that I would never have children. And that's part of the comments that I'm going to make a little bit later today in the sermon talking about my own dad, my biological father, who is no longer with us. He died a couple of years ago, almost, and me and some of my family who are here today are going to one of our favorite places in Georgia where we grew up this afternoon and, and just celebrate what would have been his birthday at a, at a restaurant that is near and dear to us. So my dad, thanks Kate, so my dad was with me when I found out, just boom, in a second, boom. And I had always wanted children. I was 16, and I had been one of those teenagers and children who always went and found the, the little kids and played with them and enjoyed that. And I just knew I was going to have, like my family did, three, four, five, six, whatever it was, children, as long as we could, we could afford it. I didn't think that through. But... Um, I'm pretty good at this side, my side of adoption, because I've been thinking about it for so long. That's 22, 23 years now, thinking about being an adoptive parent. But I can only imagine Kate and Karsten's side of it. So all I can do is imagine, just put myself in their shoes and try to think about their side of the process. Because I'm not adopted. I grew up with my loving biological parents. But I do understand spiritual adoption. At the moment of salvation, God adopts us as his own children. And Tim has already spoken about that and introduced it very well. And with the scripture that he read, things that he said. At the moment of salvation, God adopts us as children. Our lives change forever. Just like with earthly adoption. So I want us to notice from Paul's words in these verses just directly what he says about spiritual adoption. And I want us to notice... Three things that he writes about. First of all, starting in Romans 8.15, is intimacy with God. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. When we know God as Father, we relate to him with intimacy. Intimacy instead of 
fear. Now, I want to be careful that we don't misunderstand this because there is always a reverential fear in a relationship with God. But that fear changes when you know him as Savior, Father, Creator, all those things. It changes from a fear of judgment. I can't do wrong because I'm going to get kicked out of here. I'm going to get punished, destroyed. That fear changes from that kind of a fear to just a reverential awe. Uh, I don't want to let you down. I am sorry for hurting you, and it hurts me that I've hurt you. I, I want to please you. So the fear changes from that fear of eternal judgment to a fear of just like with our earthly parents. We approach him with peace and comfort even when we sin. Did you hear that? If you're not a believer here this morning, I hope that just the, the few things that we've already said has gotten your attention. That a relationship with God changes how we approach him. We don't see him as just ready to get us. We, we see him as Everybody doesn't have a good earthly parent relationship, but you can imagine what it would be like if you didn't have one to have a good earthly mother and father relationship with your parents. So we approach him with peace and comfort. Even when we sin, we want to run to him, tell him we're sorry, crawl up in his lap. Maybe you can think about a time when you were three or four and still small enough to go and crawl up in your parents' lap. Accept both the discipline, the correction, and the forgiveness that came in that loving, safe relationship with your earthly parent. And receive his love in spite of your bad behavior and know that you're not cast out. He's not finished with you. He didn't make you go live with somebody else. John MacArthur says, Abba is an informal Aramaic term for father implying intimacy, tenderness, dependence, and complete lack of fear or anxiety. Modern English equivalents would be daddy or papa. When Jesus was agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was about to take upon himself the sins of the world, he used that name of endearment, praying, Abba, Father. And also the Life Application Bible Commentary says, We are not slaves who cower in fear before their master. We are adopted children who can call God our Father. Calling God such a personal term indicates that we have an intimate relationship with Him. Now, you already know that this sermon is personal to me, so I'm going to make it a little more personal. Just to contrast the intimacy of an earthly good relationship from lack of intimacy with a bad earthly parental relationship. My mother grew up with an abusive, abandoning, alcoholic father. I was scared to death of him when I was a child. Even though my brothers and I have three brothers, we would go and spend spring breaks, Christmas breaks, summer breaks, anytime we could. They always lived within an hour of us. They lived on a farm in Williamston, right near the jockey lot. So we would spend Saturdays at the jockey lot as my grandfather hawked stuff and my grandmother took care of us. So sometimes he was around and sometimes he wasn't around. But a lot of times he wasn't around. And that's when we would go and spend several days. We would spend an entire spring break with them. My two cousins, they were both boys. So there were six kids that my grandmother would take care of for several days at a time. Those are some of the greatest childhood memories that I have. Barns all over the place. We had a hayloft that we could do all kinds of things. There were farm animals all around. 
there was, there was an old chicken coop that was not being used, but we used it as a jail. And every one of us spent time locked in that jail and forgotten about for some period of time. And you just sit there and hope somebody remembers Kevin's in the jail. It's, it was, we didn't get bread and water, Jake. We just, we were just there in the jail. <laughs> so the grandkids stayed there for days. But when my grandfather returned, there was a long-distance phone call made. And it was, Mom, Dad, we're ready to go. We're ready to come home. Because we were scared of him. He was also mean, not physically abusive to us. He knew better because there were two dads involved. But we were ready to go. So we would leave. I knew from about age 10 that I could not wait to grow up to be big enough to pound on him. That was my goal. I was going to go back and I was going to wail on him. But I never grew up. I told you I was 16 sitting in a doctor's office trying to figure out what my problem was, why I wasn't growing. And, but when I did grow, I never went back and said a word to him. Because after I was able to drive, I didn't see him but maybe three or four times before he died. He died in 2001. There was not a funeral. He was not a believer. He was an antagonist to all things good and holy. My brothers and I didn't have any relationship with him. Not, not growing up, he would be kind to us at times and ride us on his tractor, give us a dollar here and there, but mostly we were just petrified of him. So later on, I never went back and did those things that I planned when I was really little, when I got physically capable of doing it, because I just didn't think about him anymore. I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't just thinking every day about God. I, I just didn't think about him at all. My life was so much more at peace without even thinking about him being a part of my childhood story my memories with my grandmother they were great and that's the ones that I focused on the week that he died my mother called and told me and I just said thanks mom for telling me and I wrote a message for my youth that week called leaving a legacy the only grandfather I ever knew is no grandfather in me I never even think about him what I do think about is that my mom her sister and her brother grew up with that kind of relationship with an earthly father and it affected all three of them their lives have been I'll just say not what they could have should have would have been because of what they saw from their earthly father I am so thankful that God blessed me with an earthly father who never made me feel like that he never made me feel like that of course there were times when I was scared of my own dad but only when I'd done something wrong. I deserve most of the whippings that I ever got from him. Most. There's still a few that I blame on my brothers, but I deserve most of what I got. <laughs> but aside from when I'd misbehaved, I never had a reason to be afraid of my dad. I never wanted to get away from home. I wasn't a kid in high school thinking, I can't wait to go to some college three hours away to get away from here. I, I didn't want to, and I didn't have to. I had a great relationship with my parents, with my dad. He let me take his one-month-old, brand-new Ford F-150 to first week at Myrtle Beach, a day after I graduated. Why? Because he trusted me, and I trusted him. And I, I had a relationship with him where I knew I wasn't going to go and act like an idiot with it and then bring it back in shambles seven days later and say, sorry, Dad, you can deal with the mess. He trusted me, and I had a reverential fear of him as my father, knowing that 
he's trusting me with this, and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to be a good steward of this. It came back exactly like um, it left. No earthly father is perfect. But my dad was a good model of what my heavenly father's love is. Unending, not based on my performance, and self-sacrificing. My dad watched me, and I mentioned this already, but he watched me cry as a doctor told me I would never have children. In the rest of my infertility journey, he encouraged me and stepped with me every step. He sat and watched me cry in public one time over failed romance that I think God failed. But he told me all those things that I didn't want to hear at the time. I just wanted my problem fixed. But he told me all those truths. Sitting in a public place with his grown son crying. And he just sat there and spoke God's truth to me and encouraged me. He encouraged me through my relationship and ultimately my marriage with Kelly in our entire adoption process. And I'm glad that he was a major influence as much as they can remember and understand before he passed on my two children. Regardless of what kind of earthly father you have had, God wants to be your heavenly father. He created you and he knows everything about you. Good, bad, public, and secret. He loves you so much that you know this. He sent Jesus to die for you, die for your sins. And he adopts all who come to him through his son and makes them his sons and daughters. Look at John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. The second uh, truth about spiritual adoption is, the second blessing, is affirmation from the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Affirmation from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the awareness that we are God's children. He works on us continually, reminding us of His truth, convicting us of sin, and drawing us to repentance and obedience. Here's another real-life example that happened just a couple years ago. Happens to do with adoption. When Kate was in first grade, she played in a local church basketball league. They practiced on Monday nights for about an hour. So I would take her. It was just one of the things I enjoyed. I'd go and sit and watch her practice and sit in the bleachers. And I found out pretty quickly that one of my friends was also there at the same time. So we would use that time just to sit and talk and catch up. One of those nights, right about the time practice was leaving, he was telling me a story that was going on in his family. And he said that his high school-aged daughter had attended a dance with a biracial boy. Now, most people get confused on what biracial means. Biracial just means you are a child of two races, two different races of parent. A lot of people just think biracial means half black, half white. That, that is an example of biracial, but that does not describe biracial. Just like singing is a way to worship, but singing is not worship, all-encompassing. This is worship. Giving is worship. You being here and encouraging each other is worship. So this is the same thing with biracial. I have two biracial children. They're sitting right there. And if you look at them physically, you can see that they're, if you only see me, you might think they're my biological, biological child. But if you see Kelly and me, you know that 
they're most likely adopted. Kate is the product of a South American native Indian birth mother and a white birth father. Karsten is the child of a black American father and a white American mother. So they're both biracial. Back to my story. My friend told his daughter that you can go to this dance, but you're not going to date him because I don't approve of biracial dating. I think you should date and marry your own kind. He, he told this to me, a friend. He momentarily, all I can imagine is he momentarily forgot who he was talking to. That one of my biracial children was 25 feet away on that court right in front of me practicing basketball where his son was on the other side of that court practicing on that end. He just momentarily forgot. Whistles were blown, practice was ending, kids were flying around. That was the end of our conversation. That was it. And we left. I, I, just, I just knew that he just forgot who he was talking to, and I said, that's okay. And I didn't, I didn't think anything more about it. The next week, went back to that same hour for practice. Kate didn't even get her, her practice clothes on or her top clothes off before my friend was in my face with hands trembling, tears <laughs> tears coming down his face and he said I've got to apologize to you I've got to apologize to you I've tried to call you this week and I didn't leave a voicemail God's been dealing with me all week and I am sorry he said I was wrong what I said God has shown me that this week I can't believe I said those things to you and I hope that you will forgive me He's not a bad guy. He's a Christian. He loves Jesus, and we've been friends a long time. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit lives inside a person. Affirmation from the Holy Spirit. You can't continue in this, and this is what happened with my friend. And he was compelled. He was led. He, he, he would not have peace until he came and made that right. I didn't need that apology. I wouldn't have thought any different about him the rest of his life. This is not the first time that we have dealt with that kind of attitude and it won't be the last time so we just know that we will deal with it and accept that and and let God use us how he wants to use us and let him use our story how he wants to use it the Holy Spirit gives us what we need when we need it and he gave it to my friend because my friend is a child of God MacArthur also said when someone confides in me that he has doubts about his salvation I often respond by asking if he ever senses God leading in his life if he answers yes, I remind him of Paul's assurance in this verse. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. There's no confusion about where the Holy Spirit leads. Where does the Holy Spirit lead? Straight to the cross, straight to Scripture, straight to his Father, straight to the truth, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He leads to himself. He affirms our salvation with checkpoints like these. And here's just a few things that we should ask ourselves. Do I have the affirmation of the Holy Spirit in my life? Are you having success putting sin to death? If so, you're not doing it in your own strength. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. Do you have a growing desire to spend time with God in prayer, Bible study, and worship with other Christians? It's not coming from you. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. Are you gaining understanding of biblical truths and becoming more empowered to share the gospel? It's not coming from you. 
That understanding is not coming from you. It's coming from the Holy Spirit working within you. Do you grieve when you sin because you've hurt God and or others? It's coming from the Holy Spirit, not from you. Is God answering yes to more and more of your prayers? If so, the Holy Spirit is leading you to pray in tune with God's will. Are you experiencing a growing hatred for sin and a growing concern for the lost? Those things are coming from the Holy Spirit, not from within you. This is simple, really. When we become concerned about the things God's concerned about, we have affirmation that we belong to Him, that He's working in us, changing us more and more into His image to be useful for His purposes. The third blessing of spiritual adoption, straight from Scripture here, is inheritance of God's riches. Look at verse 17. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You know, you know the definition of an heir, but let's, let's look at it anyway. A person legally entitled to the property or rank of another at that person's death. Adopted children have, this was back in Roman times as well as it is now. This isn't something that just started in America. Um, adoption has been a thing for thousands of years. Adopted children have all the rights and privileges of natural-born children. They're not second-class children. We don't introduce our two girls as, this is Kate, my adopted daughter. This is Karsten, my, my adopted daughter. And if we had a, a biological child and say, and this is something that starts with a K, he's our son. We don't do that. They're our daughters. They're our girls. There, there's no clarifier word there. They're, they're just ours. They get love and they get spankings. They, they get all that. They're our children. They know that they're adopted. Other people know that they're adopted. We love adoption and we promote it and we will continually promote it. If you don't know this, Kelly has a blog and she started it just as her storybook so that she could look back and see her story and all those things that we were going through when we were going through the process of becoming parents. It's kellyelders.com. That's really easy to remember. It used to be something else. It used to be the big long wait. And she took that name about a year before the process and then we got placed. The whole thing took four months. And I'm like, your blog name really is not accurate. <laughs> what a blessing that we only waited for four months when there's people that are waiting for years. But she has a blog and she has just told our story and that is a tool that over a million hits from all over the world, and most of that is people that are just looking for information about adoption from a real-life family who is living and is walking through. And she gets questions regularly from people anywhere in the world. Just tell me about this. How did you do this? What's the process for this? How does this work in South Carolina? Other people know that our kids are adopted. That's one of our platforms again. But we don't use adoption, again, as that clarifier word. They're just our children. We're not going to leave all our stuff to our blood relatives. Kate and Karsten are in our will, and they get equal portions of whatever we will have when that time comes. It's salvation. We no longer belong to this world. Sin is no longer our master. Death is no longer our destiny. 
our inheritance changes because we become children of God instead of children of the world. We have full access to his resources. And he gives us a new status, forgiven. A new name, child of God. He gives us a new nature, righteousness. He gives us a new priority to glorify him in all we do. And he gives us a new destination, eternity in heaven. I hope that you're already living with these blessings of spiritual adoption. But if not, you can become one of God's adopted children right now. I know that even in a crowd this size, it's not 100% that every one of us have already surrendered, given our life to Jesus Christ. So you have that opportunity now. And I'll go ahead and give this as an invitation. You are welcome in a few minutes to come down here and pray about anything, to, to, to tell us that you want to you follow Jesus with your life, that you want to recommit your life, that you want to join this church. But you don't have to do that right down here. We have other ways for you to do that. One of those is a membership class, and this is just an announcement and an invitation. A membership class next Sunday right after the service in the room right behind these two doors. You don't have to sign up. You can just show up. But our staff is also here for you. You can contact us via the web. Our information is in the bulletin. If you need help making any of these decisions, that we, that, that's some of the most enjoyable things that we get to do as pastors is talk to you about these things. So let us help you. And if you're the one sitting here and you don't already have an adoptive relationship with God our Father, I'd love for you to make that decision today, tomorrow, right now. You don't have to tell anybody. You can do that right now in your quietness. And then let us help you as you walk through that decision. You can become one of God's adopted children. Admit your sins to him. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave to give you eternal life. Trust him with your life by surrendering to him. And if that happens, the Holy Spirit will move inside of you immediately. And then those of us who already know Jesus will say, welcome to the family. Pray with me. Father, we love you. Thank you for the truths that you have shown us this morning through your servant, Paul. Thank you that we can be your children just by surrendering to you. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to learn some certain amount. We don't have to go through years of practice. We can become your children immediately. For anybody here this morning who has never made that decision, give them the courage, the boldness, the surrender that is necessary to choose to make that eternal decision. For the rest of us, we thank you and we love you eternally for allowing us to be a part of your family, for blessing us with these things that are not just out there in eternity, but we experience them today, currently. We love you. Help us to be spokespeople for you. Help other people to see you living in us. And may they be drawn to you by what you're doing in us. So in this time of commitment and dedication, may you work and may all of us follow you.
In Jesus' name, amen.